Amen. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles tonight, turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 18. Aren't you glad God's power doesn't come and go? Constant all the time. Uh, Revelation chapter 18, the first two verses as we continue our walk through the uh, book of Revelation as we look at the um, series of Revealing Jesus as Champion. That really is what the book of Revelation is about. It is a revealing of Jesus Christ and as him being the ultimate champion, the ultimate victor uh, of the world, of the universe for all time and all people and all places. So look, if you will, in Revelation chapter 18, we're moving toward the end of the book of Revelation. And uh, so look at the first two verses. We'll read the first two verses. We'll not read every verse tonight. We'll kind of get the big uh, gist of what Revelation 18 is about this evening, though, I think. After these things, John saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great has fallen and has fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Well, some things are hard to fix, aren't they? And uh, I don't know about you, but when I was little, I thought my daddy could fix anything. Amen? You just, and when you get that revelation, your dad can't fix everything, it's a terrible day. And because dads have a way, you know, dads, have, if they can't fix it, they'll come up with something, right? Dads can come up with something. I saw where one guy... His three-year-old wouldn't sleep, and he was hungry, and so he came up with a way to get his three-year-old to sleep and feed him at the same time. Go ahead and show the picture there, if you will, please. So there he is. He's got the only way his child was asleep is on his arm. <laughs> After three hours, he got hungry, and so he managed to fix that. Now, when it comes to hairstyling, dads, we tend to go for ponytails, don't we? Anytime Laura was out of town, Hannah Grace always wore a ponytail to school. Here's a dad ponytail for you. <laughs> The old zip tie ponytail right there. I don't know, if Ron, if you carry zip ties in your shop or not for ponytails. There's an idea for you. And dads can do the boys' cuts as well. Go ahead and do the old razor. And <laughs> if you can't see that very well, that's called a gap, <laughs> what that is. Uh, Mom left, so dad spent a little time with the one-year-old. So dad's got a way to spend time with the one-year-old <laughs> and game at the same time. Sometimes watching three kids at one time is a little much for dads. And so they come up with their own little solutions to watch three kids at one time. <laughs> you can't see it real well. There's a dog on top of that cage, <laughs> which really makes it funny with the dog kind of looking in on, uh, on top of them. Uh, Mom sent dad out to the store, dad and daughter, and said, our little girl needs some nice clothes for school. And here's what they came home with. <laughs> this looks like the Tin Man and the Wizard of Oz. They're kind of cool. Um, feed the baby. Dad's supposed to feed the baby. We have all kind of ways of doing that, right? Feed the baby and play the Game Boy at the same time. And uh, Mom said that um, time to put the kid down for a nap. And this is Holt after vacation Bible school. <laughs> Just about, Holt says, the baby's alive, are awake and well, dad's asleep in the crib. One more, mom said, the kids have to stay in bed. Have to stay in bed? There you go. The kids are in bed being pulled behind the four-wheeler, right? They're in bed. Dads have a way of fixing things. As I said, there comes that devastating day. I thought when I was little, I really did think my dad could fix about anything, and he could fix an awful lot. I could remember when my bike broke one time, my dad was fixing my bike, and before 
30 minutes was up. He fixed about every kid's bike in the neighborhood. We just had kids with bikes all over the place in the neighborhood. Unfortunately, unfortunately, that came a lot earlier for Hannah Grace and Joel than it does for most kids because the only thing I can fix is a sandwich. And, uh, but some, anyway, it's hard on things that are hard to fix. Here's what I want you to see tonight. God originally had an intention for mankind to reflect his glory. And for mankind to have an intimate relationship with him and to walk in love and peace and joy and harmony with God. Watch this. Mankind, apart from God, cannot be fixed. Apart from God, mankind will ultimately, and that's what we're going to look at tonight in Revelation 8 time, mankind will ultimately rebel against God, revolt against God, don't want anything to do with God, and they cannot be fixed apart from God. Revelation 18 is a little bit confusing because in Revelation 16, we got right to the edge of the battle of Armageddon, that last final battle, and then you don't get it till Revelation 19, 17 and 18 or give us the backstory of the system, the world system that God is judging. And so we saw last week in Revelation 17 how God judged the great prostitute called Babylon. And tonight it's kind of a retelling of the same story in a bit. Babylon's going to fall again tonight. And so why does he tell it twice? Well, two reasons it could be. One, some people feel like Revelation 17 is talking about the religious system, that the great prostitute is the religious mouth of the Antichrist empire, and that Revelation 18 is the political and economic collapse of Babylon. And others feel like it's just a retelling. The Bible does that sometimes. Genesis 1 tells us the creation story. Genesis 2 retells it, gives it a little bit different emphasis. And so it's either he's telling a different part of Babylon that falls in 17 than he does in 18, or it's just a reiterating and a retelling of it with a little bit different uh, emphasis. Now, when when John's people in his day heard this story, when they hear Revelation 18, when they read it in those seven churches of Revelation, they're going to immediately think of Rome, the great Roman Empire. That was the uh, material, uh, economic, political empire of the day. And we're going to know tonight that, that that's going to ultimately be filled in another Babylon toward, in the end of time. We'll talk about that a little bit. But John's idea, John's audience is going to think of Rome. This describes the great Roman Empire. I mean, they felt like, it looked like for all the world, that the Roman Empire would be the worldwide empire for all times. In fact, one of uh, the Roman poets uh, said it this way, when falls the Colosseum, Rome shall fall. Listen to this, and when Rome falls, the world. Felt like the whole world would fall when Rome fell. And yet, the Rome has possibly close to a million people in uh, John's day. And uh, two or three centuries later, when Rome does fall, the Roman Empire does fall, it only has around 30,000 people left in its city. Of course, we know today the Roman Empire is gone. It, it, it gets replaced by other empires. Other empires have come and gone. Now, others will think uh, through the centuries, they think of Babylon, they think of Babel. We talked about the Tower of Babel, same place where Babylon was at. And they're going to think of Babylon. Some people feel like that the ancient city of Babylon, what we studied in Bible school this week, there's no, there's no city there today, uh, feel like that that's actually going to be rebuilt. Um, I kind of have my hesitancy on that because it's going to take a lot 
to rebuild a city, to make this kind of an empire before the coming of Christ. I don't know that there's that much time for them that to happen. I feel like Christ can come at any time. So I don't feel like necessarily it has to be that. Other people have tried to, to, to decide where it's going to be, and there's been all manner of guesses, Baghdad, uh, somewhere in Russia, London, New York, all kind of places. While we don't know exactly where it is, we know what it, what it stands for. We know what it's like, and that's what we're going to study. And that's the big thing tonight is what is this like? This is mankind opposed to God. And where it will be is not nearly as important as to what it stands for. And it stands for all-out rebellion against God. Now, we talked last week about the seven kings and five had fallen, one is, one was to come, then there were ten kings, and, and some people feel like with those ten kings and then the, the, you marry that to the book of Daniel, there's going to be this ten-nation federation uh, with the, with the uh, great city of Babylon. Babylon this tonight would be the capital of that federation. It's hard to, not, it's hard to miss the symbolism. Seven and ten are both symbols of completion, symbols of fullness, and so whether this is a literal uh, ten-nation federation that joins in or this is a symbolic, which I know it's at least symbolic, of all-out revolt, all-out rebellion. The world turns completely against God. And this Babylon, this capital, best I can tell tonight, this is going to be at least the capital city of the Antichrist worldwide empire. That'd be my best guess. We know this, it's going to be rich and prosperous. It's going to be immoral. It's going to be full of spiritual lies. It's going to misrepresent God. There's going to be entertainment and pleasure all over the place, violent against God's people, ultimately destroyed by God, and it gives glory to itself in stark contrast to the new Jerusalem, which gives glory to God. And you see a lot of that happening. A lot of what Babylon is and the Antichrist empire is, is a cheap imitation of what happens in, um, in the real new Jerusalem, what happens in God's economy. Now, as we get started tonight, we're going to talk about what it looks like, what man's ruin looks like apart from God. Mankind's ruin apart from God. And the, the, the language is laced with biblical language as a lot of Revelation is. We tend to think of futuristic language in Revelation. Revelation is filled with biblical imagery from the Exodus tonight, filled with biblical imagery from Isaiah and Jeremiah. John's audience will know this. So let's talk about the ruin of mankind outside of God. Look at it. First of all, we talk about the fullness of the fall. The fullness of the fall of mankind apart from God. We cannot be restored to our original intention and God's original design apart from the grace of God. We need God. And without God, there will be a full and complete falling of, our, uh, of who we were intentionally meant to be. The original intention we will find fulfilled as Jesus followers. And when we get to Revelation 20 and 21 and 22, we're going to see how fully God fulfills his intention, how fully God fulfills his purpose in our lives. But it can't happen outside of God. Look at Revelation chapter 18. Let's look at the first two verses again. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with its glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice. What a lot of loud, we had a lot of loud voices in Revelation, hadn't we? A loud voice saying, Babylon the greatest fallen is fallen, has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. It's a particularly strong angel. And notice how brilliant the angel is. And it reminds us, and I think John 
intentionally does this. Remember last week in Revelation 17, the great prostitute was clothed in scarlet and purple and she had gold earrings and she was, you know, had all the bling and the glitter and the dazzled, all, all the, uh, intent, the intention was to dazzle people and to be beautiful and all that. And yet when one angel shows up, he illuminates the whole earth. Satan always tries to offer imitations for the real thing, but they're cheap. <laughs> they're cheap imitations. I mean, she, she thinks she's something. And of course, she represents, right, Babylon. But, you know, the gold and the precious stones and all of that. And can you just imagine saying, look, I've got all this gold. And God says, yeah, we walk on it in my economy. <laughs> you know, you're going to see that in the New Jerusalem. And John intentionally does this. She has gold that she dresses with to, to try to impress people. And God said, the streets are paved with gold up here saying the best you have to offer is just something we put in potholes <laughs> which I don't think there'll be potholes in heaven amen <laughs> but look what happens this magnificent city this is probably the greatest city in the world at this point and what happens is it truly becomes a haunted city it becomes fully ruined it says here it becomes a dwelling place of demons and a prison for every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean and hated bird. The idea with the bird, birds are often symbolic, or I'd say often birds are sometimes symbolic for demons in the scripture, There's, as in the case of the parable of the sower, when the birds come and snatch the, the, the word away. And so this is not just another way of, of saying a place of demons, a place of fallen spirits. Uh, think vultures, think scavengers, because there's dead things all over the place. And the thing is, the people here in Babylon thought the party would never end. They should have known. They should have known. Why? Because at this point, uh, at this point of history, you've got the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls judgment have been, pour, have been poured out. It's kind of amazing to me as we walk through Babylon and we see the luxuries that are still there, how they still are able to manage this because seas have been turned to blood, fresh water has been turned to blood, sun scorching them, you know, boils are breaking out on their skins and things like that. And yet somehow, some way, Babylon is still a wealthy city. But here's what we know. They think they can just keep on partying. The signs are all around them. This is not going to keep working for long. But then it falls and everybody's surprised. And how many of you know, some people, we can, you can see it happen. You can see it in your own life. Outside of God, you know the party is going to end. And it typically ends faster and harder than people ever imagined. You know, we talked about it last week. People say, well, I, you know, I just want to go to hell and party for eternity with all my friends. Well, there's no party. There's no part that all comes crashing down. And the interesting thing is, while the mighty Roman Empire for this day, the mighty city of Babylon right before Christ returns, while they are, you know, think they have all the power and they have all, and they're persecuting God's people, they're putting them to death, they're coming to an end and God's people are going to reign forever and ever and ever. What Babylon's trying to do outside of God, God's people will eventually do. The Roman Empire collapsed and the persecuted church it tried to stamp out is still growing today. Amen. People are getting saved today. All over the world, people are getting saved uh, today. So the Babylon of John's day has already fallen. And one day, this evil empire run by the Antichrist will absolutely perish before the glory of God's invading kingdom. Look at verse 4. 
Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her place. God's people are to separate themselves from the Babylonian system. Now, this world system, as you read through Revelation 18 and other places, you can see this world, world system is based on power, it's based on wealth, materialism. It's based on pleasure, particularly sexual pleasure. And it's based on the exploitation of other people. That's the world system this is in. And the early Christians at Rome must have been very tempted to go into that and to compromise with that because what? In this, wor in this worldly system, even at Smyrna and in the, in the seven churches, God says what? You're going to be persecuted for 10 days. But be faithful unto death. Why did he say that? Because it was going to be 10 days, not literal 10 days, but in comparison, it's going to be a short time compared to eternity. And he said, it'd be easy. Y'all could, could deny Christ and get out of the persecution, buy into the wealth, buy into the power, buy into the pleasure, the exploitation of others. And at the time, at the end of time, when Babylon is ruling this, this antichrist empire and people can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast that we've seen, it's going to be very, very tempting. For people to deny Christ and buy into this system based on wealth, power, pleasure, the exploitation of others. Why? For temporary relief, for temporary comfort, to be able to buy things, provide things, have an have a easier life, have a nicer life. They're going to be persecuted Christians alive and it's going to be so easy. And God says, what? Don't do it. Your eternal soul is worth more than anything this world has to offer. The Bible says if you were to gain the whole world and lose your own soul, you'd be a, what, a horrible, horrible trade. Wealth more important than godliness. Comfort more important than character. He says don't buy into it. And the New Testament tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, where Paul writes, Therefore, come out from them. And be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. You see, holiness, what he's calling these people here in 2 Corinthians 6 and in ancient Babylon, calling the Christians to come out. Holiness is a separation from the world, from this system of power, pleasure, materialism, exploitation of others, to, a, to God, a holiness to God, where you serve each other out of love, where you give to each other when you don't make a name for yourself, but you make a name for God. How rare it is to see people willing to take a job cut so they can be a more effective Christian. That really shouldn't be that odd of a thing for us as believers. We buy into the world system when we think every time I get an opportunity for a raise, that's automatically God's will. What about the person who gives up the good job and goes to work for a nonprofit, goes to work for a, a, a soup kitchen or something that, that's ministering in Jesus' name? That's being holy. Holy is not just not doing things. It's separation to God and run by his values and his purposes. Church historian is a guy named Theodoret. He was a church historian in Syria. He was actually a bishop in Syria in the 5th century. He wrote a book called The Ecclesiastical History, a history of the church in five books from AD 322 to AD 427. And Theodore tells the story of an Eastern monk called Telemachus. How many of y'all ever heard of Telemachus? Nobody, right? I hadn't heard of him until I came across the story this week. And it was during the Roman Empire. This is after the persecution of Christians. They actually have a Christian emperor at the time of Telemachus. So they were still having the gladiatorial games. The gladiators come out and fight to the bloody death. 
And they say Telemachus came and, um, and witnessed these gladiatorial games. And he saw these men fighting to a bloody death. And it broke his heart. And I mean, people, this is entertainment. You know, this is rated R for violence or, you know, entertainment. But it's real. It's not just a movie. It's a real thing. And it broke Telemachus' heart so much that instead of enjoying the entertainment, a lot of which we just invite into our homes, right? Instead of enjoying the entertainment, he went down and got in the way and separated the gladiators, tried to get them to stop fighting, and the crowd turned on him and stoned him to death. Instead of watching and being entertained by violence and ungodliness, he got in the middle of it, and the, the, the emperor was a Christian at this time, and shortly after um, Telemachus' death, he banned the gladiatorial games. Because one person was willing to stand up and say, ah, this is not how Christians, godly, any kind of people ought to act. And so based on entertainment, based on power, based on violence, based on wealth, I mean, this is Babylon's luxury. There are 28 luxury items mentioned in Revelation chapter 18. It's amazing they still have these. And we think there's a lot of waste in our government, and there is. And we think people are wasteful in our day, and there are. But there was a Roman emperor named Vitellius. Vitellius was Roman emperor for eight months. And it is recorded in history that he wasted, now he's only emperor for eight months. He wasted the equivalent of $20 million in his reign, most of it on extravagant foods. That's a big dining budget, Amen. That's a big, delicacies like peacock's brains and nightingale's tongues. I mean, just going for something extravagant because it's extravagant. By the way, if y'all ever make a peacock brain and nightingale tongue stew, let me know. I want to come try it. <laughs> so that's what's happening here. You see, when Babylon falls, there are three groups of people that are absolutely shocked and hurt by that. You've got the kings of the earth that are devastated by Babylon's fall because why? Their power is being taken away. Then you got the merchants of the earth that are, that are by, that makes a worldwide empire. And that's the business people. They're devastated. Why? Their money's gone. So the power's gone. The money's gone. The shipping industry's devastated as well. Why? Because, because their uh, wealth is, uh, is in trouble as well. So as we look at this, I guess the thing we need to ask ourselves is how materialistic are we? How, if, if our microwave went out tonight, I'd buy another one tomorrow. Might buy it tonight, <laughs> depending on how late in the evening it was going on, right? I'd do it without, without thinking, without thinking. How quickly would I give $150 to somebody really in need? That ha I mean, I had, a, I had a real need. It's, it's, it's interesting how I don't think I'm materialistic, but boy, sometimes I remember the last time our microwave went out, it, God just convicted me. How quickly would you give that? Because, I mean, we couldn't get to Walmart fast enough. You can't hold did I get an amen? Just can't get there quick enough to get another. We've got to have a, a, a microwave. And so we're talking about will we give up a, a cut in pay to grow spiritually? Do we tithe? How generous 
are we in our, in our own lives? So that's the first thing we want to see. Second thing I want you to see is how fast it falls. How the fullness of the fall apart from God. And it's talking about Babylon here, the Antichrist Empire right before this, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Battle of Armageddon and all this takes place. But also the, how fast it falls. Uh, it, it's been coming. I mean, in, in a way, you'd think it's not fast because you've had all these judgments that's been happening over this seven-year period, whether that's a seven-literal period or, or seven symbolic period, whatever it is, look at Revelation 18.10. God's going to bring it to an end. They should see it coming. Revelation 18.10, terrified at her torment. These are the merchants and the kings in the shipping industry. Uh, by the way, with the seas turning into blood, the shipping industry is probably going to be air, airlines, right? It's probably going to be the airplanes and, and trading on, you know, internet, things like that. They will stand far off and cry, woe, woe to you great city, you mighty city of Babylon, in one hour, your doom has come. God says Babylon, the greatest city on earth, is going to fall in an hour. Now, we don't know if that's a literal hour. New Living Translation says it's going to fall in a moment. The idea is it's going to fall faster than anybody dreams. I mean, the total devastation is going to come, and the whole world's going to be shocked. Some people think this is a nuclear attack, um, and it certainly could be that. Um, it kind of gives the idea of, a, you know, I, I can't imagine how people uh, hundreds of years ago would think a great city like that would fall, and it, well, I do know, would fall in an hour. We can actually see how something like that could happen in our day. Whether it's a nuclear attack, whether it's some, you know, huge meteor from the, from the sky falling down, what we do know is God does it. That's the point. The point is not, is it a nuclear bomb? Is it a meteorite from heaven or anything like that? What we do know, Revelation 18, 8, New International Version says, then in one day, her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire. That's why some people think a meteorite or some others think a nuclear bomb. But watch, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. God does it. And God can do it any way God wants to do it. And so that's what we want to make sure of before we try to pin it down on we think it's going to be this. It's going to be God who destroys it in a moment. And the word there for mighty, for mighty is the Lord God. The word mighty is emphatic, very strong, very mighty. Uh, the dynamically strong God is going to do this. Adrian Rogers said, Satan sails a sinking ship. His doom is announced and will be carried out. Sin cannot win and faith cannot fail. If you are a lover of Babylon, you are following a lost cause. Babylon, this system of wealth, power, pleasure, exploitation of others. Babylon will be destroyed by a devastating collapse. It will happen cataclysmically fast and its destruction will be utterly complete. Now, we need to be conscious of this. We need to be conscious of this because, praise God, in Jesus, we have security. Praise God, in Jesus, we are safe. Praise God, in Jesus, we are protected by God's power. You see, whether you're a Christian or not determines whether you are protected by God's power or unprotected from God's power. And it, what it should do for us is cause us to be very, very intentional about sharing the gospel. Very, very intentional about helping people come to know Christ. Whether it's vacation Bible school, Sunday school, youth group, music time, whatever it is, we need to always, always, always be aware we need to be evangelistic in what we do 
We need to help people understand that there needs to be a real conversion experience in their life. It's not just joining the church. It's not just saying a prayer. It's not just, you know, walking down the aisle. We need to be very, very sure that we are very clear on what the gospel truly is, that there, that there needs to be a genuine trust, a genuine faith in Christ, and Christ makes us a new creation. God creates in us a new heart and a new spirit. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He said, and he's talking about the eternal perspective of who people are in eternity. And he uses the word gods and goddesses. He doesn't mean literally. He just means they're going to be quite something. We're going to be quite something in New Jerusalem, right? It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember, watch this, that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship. That'd be us in our glorified bodies. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we're in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It's with the awe and the circumspection, circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, or all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is ours, their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals that we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors are everlasting splendors. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying the people we work with, play with, they're one day going to be in heaven or hell. They're one day going to be having the, the greatest experience that anybody could ever, more than we could possibly dream of, a new body, a new life in the presence of God where Jesus is the light. Or they're going to be an absolute horror to behold. You, and I love what he says. I, I mean, it makes me tremble when I think about it. You have never met a mere mortal. Everybody you deal with has, uh, has life that goes on forever. Eternal life is life, it doesn't mean that you live forever. Everybody lives forever. And we need to be conscious that that's who we're dealing with. And you know, we don't know who's a Christian, who's not a Christian. We can't look into people's hearts. But we sure want to be, be, be very conscious that everybody's going somewhere. I was listening to a comedian the other day, and he said that... Um, he had a, a friend of his that got busted for drugs, and uh, he called him from prison, and they busted for selling drugs, doing drugs, and they put him in prison, and he called him from prison. He said, man, how are you doing? He said, well, I'm doing all right. He said, man, who would have ever thought it? Who would have ever seen it coming, man? And one day I'd be driving a Mercedes Benz, and the next day I'd be sitting in a jail cell. Who would have ever thought it? And he said, we all thought it. <laughs> Every one of us saw it coming. That's why we sat down with you and begged you to stop. We saw it coming. And with what we see coming, we need to be very, very intentional about our gospel witness. Last of all, last of all, is how final the fall is. So it's the fullness of the fall apart from God, how fast the fall is, and then how final it is. We're talking about the ruin of mankind apart from God. Think about it another way. One commentator wrote this. He said, he said, just step back, step back, and try to think about what we're reading. And this is how he said it. This exiled 
Jewish Christian prophet had the audacity. Remember, John's on the Isle of Patmos. He's been boiled, probably boiled in oil. He's a prisoner there. He has the audacity to write down a funeral dirge over the mightiest empire the world had yet known. And that would be Rome. And, and, and we know today over the mightiest empire the world would ever see. It's the only prophet on this island going to write a funeral dirge for this. And it came true. Rome collapsed 16 centuries ago, and the church of Jesus Christ continues, continues to grow. Look at verse 20 of Revelation chapter 18. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her. With the judgment she imposed on you, God has judged her for how she treated you. It's interesting. The fall of the city has two different effects in heaven and on earth. And on earth, they're in horror, they're, they're sad, they're just devastated at the fall. But in heaven, they're rejoicing. Now, you know, we have to think about this. Why would they rejoice in heaven? Because these are people who've been persecuting the martyrs. These are people putting folks to death. It's not that God delights in anybody going to hell. God wants everybody to be saved. God wants everybody to come to repentance. But if somebody has been beating you for five hours a day, for six weeks and they finally quit, you got to be happy about it, right? If they have a heart attack, you wouldn't be that sad, would you? That's the idea here, that they're opposing God. They're opposing God's people. They're putting God's people to death. And so that's why there's rejoicing in heaven. Then in verse 21, then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone, threw it into the sea and said with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. It's a picture of complete and ultimate destruction. The picture comes from Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, um, God told him to pick up a millstone and throw it into the Euphrates River as a sign of the complete devastation of Babylon. <laughs> right? The real, the, the, that Babylon that invaded uh, Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah threw the millstone into the Euphrates River as a symbol of their complete devastation. And it happened, okay? The, 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 it actually happened. And so now he says the angels throwing the millstone into the sea to show the devastation of this worldwide empire will be absolutely full, quick, and complete. And then last of all, look in verses 22 and 23. The music of harpists, musicians, pipers, and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone, that'd be people working, would never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's most important people. By your magic spell, the spiritual lives, all nations were led astray. What does he say? No music, no workers, no machinery, no happiness is ever to be found in Babylon ever, ever again. You see, Babylon was trying and executing believers. And all the time, they don't know they're the ones on trial. God has them on trial. And the court date is looming way sooner than they would have ever thought. And so all of a sudden, all these, as I said a while ago, 28 luxuries mentioned in this city. And they're all gone. What's the message? We need God every hour we're absolutely ruined apart from God the song we sang tonight I need thee every hour that song was actually written by a lady named Annie Sherwood Hawks 
Uh, Annie Sherwood Hawks wrote that song in uh, 1859. She wrote over 400 hymns. It's the only one we still sing today by her. She was, uh, um, she was a mom. Uh, she um, centered her life on raising her three uh, children. She was a member of Hanson Place Baptist Church in Brooklyn, New York. Dr. Robert Lowry, who also composed hymns, also was a, a, a hymn writer, uh, was her pastor. And she said one day, she said, one day as a young wife and mother of 37 years of age, I was busy with my regular household tasks during a bright June morning in 1872. Suddenly, I became so filled with the sense of nearness to the master that wondering how one could live without him, either in joy or pain, these words were ushered into my mind, the thought at once taken full possession of me, I need thee every hour and she wrote those verses her pastor had encouraged her in her hymn writing Uh, she wrote the verses her pastor actually wrote uh, the chorus uh, to the song and when you sing the songs we did tonight you sing the whole song you will say the words I need thee 20 times that's what Revelation 18 is all about mankind is ruined outside of God complete devastation and uh, we need him every hour would you stand please with heads bowed and eyes closed with heads bowed and eyes closed uh, Miss Sandra's going to come to the piano and play softly uh, tonight as we pray it is a reminder to us that the greatest this world has to offer the most powerful cities most dynamic personalities the greatest of all kind of wealth stars business stars rock stars athletes sports stars uh, the party doesn't last forever going to come to an end and usually harder and faster than people think and one day it will for everyone that's dwelling on the earth that opposes God and we need to be very intentional because while we're safe and secure in Jesus we need to see that as many people as can uh, get in the family get in the family so Father, tonight as we as we pray and look at the fall of a city nobody thought in their day could ever possibly fall, could ever possibly be devastated. We're aware, God, that our nation or any nation uh, can fall in a moment. And God, our only place of security is in you and that we need you every day.